on the rhythm. The Blueprint Series. Today, our guest is Christy Lindor, a two times published author, a TEDx speaker, and a Forbes contributor. She's also been mentioned and published in Time Magazine, Fast Company, Boston Herald, and the Boston Voyager because she's in Boston, Yahoo Finance, Refinery29, Bustle. And she's very active on LinkedIn, which is how I came to learn of Christy Lindor. She helped a friend of hers secure a position in the Boston political arena and at a grassroots level against people with big budgets, career politicians, if you will. No stranger to being an underdog, Christy has seen it as an opportunity her whole life anytime opposition or obstacles came her way. She doesn't believe in that, doesn't use it, doesn't keep it in her vocabulary. They're all opportunities. And being a first-generation born American may have something to do with that. Without further ado, Christy Lindor. Welcome to the Blueprint Series. I am your host, Philip Llanos. And today I have an amazing guest that I'm excited to bring on, Christy Lindor. She is awesome on so many levels. Number one, because it's she, not he, which is something I want to make an effort to do more of. Uh, number two, leadership is her forte. And number three, she is going to be able to teach us about how to get into the world of politics because they don't teach civics in high school anymore. I doubt anybody cares about it in college. And by the time you start to care, you have no idea where to start. So Christy, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Philip, for having me. Yes, I am excited. Now, we, we had a chance to chat just before we got started. So I'm in Los Angeles. You're in Boston, right? Right, right. And and what I saw, what caught my attention was that you worked with someone named Liz Miranda on a grassroots level against all the odds. But even more importantly, you were doing your own thing and you put your life on hold just to get involved in politics. Explain that. You know, it, it, what kind of brought me to the journey of, of where I, where I was with the, the um, political campaign is also uh, I'm typically I'm an introvert by nature. Uh, two years ago, I read a really cool book. It was called The Year of Yes by Shonda Rhyme. And um, I gave myself a challenge. I think this is what, November 2016. And during that, that book just so inspired me. I said, all right, so for the next year and, and, and a half, I'm going to say yes to everything that scares me. And, that, and, and, and just making that decision um, ultimately led to a whole bunch of things on, on kind of like unfolding in my life, one of which helping um, my, my good friend and my sorority sister, Liz Miranda, run for, for office. Um, and so let me go back to the, the political campaign. So um, Liz, just to give you a little bit of idea, uh, I've known Liz uh, for over 20 years. Um, we're sorority sisters. And in the, in the time that I've known her, since we were, we were younger, She's always been very focused, very selfless about her community. And I've seen her make decisions, um, decisions which I think the, the common person I don't think would have made, you know, when she would, she would be, uh, you know, kind of creating a community program and she would have to be making the choice, does she pay her rent or does she like put the money to get her program off the ground? Like that's, that's how selfless that she was. And for 15, for 15 of the 20 years I've known Liz, I've been asking her to run for office because I'm like, we need people like you in office. And it's funny, she's the only friend that I've ever had um, to date that I, I always saw her in public office just because of how selfless she was. I'm like, these are the kind of people I would want to see, you know, running our government. 
And, um, you know, she always kind of brushed it off and yeah, I'm not into that. You know, let me go back to my, you know, doing her community grassroots work. And unfortunately in, in August of last year, uh, this time in, in, um, in, in 2017, her brother got murdered. Um, her brother was, was unfortunately murdered in a, in a nightclub due to a robbery. And I think it was, I think it was that combined with some, some kind of political things that was just happening, you know, that's happening in our times. A lot of social movements are happening. I think those kind of perfect storm factors really made her rethink, you know, the idea that, you know, uh, what she's been doing, she felt like it was not enough for her community. She felt like she needed to take her leadership to another level. So I remember the day she called me, it was like late March, this late March, um, this past spring. And she, you know, she was kind of at the time exploring the idea because a seat opened in her, in her um, district. Uh, where she's born and raised, where she's been doing her work. And she told me, she was like, Christy, you know, I'm, you know, you've been telling me for years, well, you know, I'm really thinking about it, you know, and, and here's the reasons and, you know, because of her, her brother and things like that. And I got so excited, you know, when I heard that she was even thinking about it. And I was like, of course, I'm like, I'll be right there with you and, and helping you. I'm, I'm, I, I think you, you, you would be amazing at being, you know, uh, going into office and becoming a legislator in, in the state. And um, fast forward a couple months, that kind of rolled into her deciding to announce. I was with her, the, you know, I was kind of, since she made the decision all the way till she announced, I was, I was just a volunteer. Like I wasn't um, planning on being anyone's campaign manager. I hadn't a clue. I've never done anything like that. I just knew I believed in Liz. You know, and I believed in what she stood for, and I knew her story. I knew she would be amazing at that. Um, and, and that's really what kind of started the journey. And I think about a, like about a month or so in, we've been looking for you know some of the some experienced um, people you know to help run her campaign and to help us. Um, it was me, her, and one of my other sorority sisters, and and we couldn't find folks. We couldn't find anyone that was experienced enough to really help. There's a lot of as you know, this past cycle, there's a lot of races happening. So a lot of the people we would be, that would be available were not available. And we kind of was like, I kind of was like, wow, I, I didn't want to see her, this, this chance kind of pass her by. And I really, I remember I, I kind of thought about it and said, you know what, because I, I believed in Liz so much, I'm going to, I'm going to like kind of put some things on hold, you know, cause I want to see her when, I was like, I've never done this before. And I remember we, we had this conversation where I was like, Liz, you know, I've never done this, but I, I know you, I'm like, we'll figure it out together. And I know it's going to be hard, but let's do it. And then, you know, I kind of, that's, I became her campaign manager and we, we kind of forged ahead and um, went on this amazing, um, hard journey. It's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Um, but I'm just so excited to see kind of where we landed with it. Oh, wow. Okay. A lot to unpack there. And thank you for sharing that. There's, there's one thing that stuck out to me. There was a lot of sorority influence there. Is there, are there, are there lessons that you learned from joining a sorority that, that led not only to obviously this relationship, but that held you guys together? Is it just that bond and that's as far as it goes? Or is there parts of being a member of a sorority that sort of led to this moment in terms of the leadership skills that may be teaching there. I, I'm not familiar with how that world works, but there may be a lot of people who would ask that. That's the first way. And why don't we start with that? Yeah. Yeah. So at least, you know, I've, 
been in the sorority for a long, my long time. I'm a, I'm a proud member of uh, Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. We're actually, um, I know some sororities, they, once, once, once um, their members, you know, finish school, let's say graduate, undergraduate, or graduate, um, they kind of cease uh, membership with that, that organization. It was like really more of a college, collegiate type of, of deal. With, with my sorority, it's actually, it's a lifetime membership, a lifetime commitment. So these women have, in, in a sense, become family. And, you know, it's just, like, it's just like any family. You've got two choices, right? One, your family experience is what you make of it. And two, you have to really, you know, unconditionally love the, the people. You know, it's like these are kind of people that came into your life in, in, in an interesting way. Um, and you have, we have good times, we have bad times. But because we know we've got that lifetime commitment to our organization and to public service, um, we, 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 we hold on to that. So we've literally watched each other grow up from being young women to becoming, you know, to becoming adults, to watching us, you know, us get married and people having children. And, and you know, even through, even through the sorority, um, there's even uh, there's, there's, there's services once you pass away. So, for example, um, Aretha Franklin, um, may she rest in peace. She actually um, was this, is, is a is a she's in the, uh, one of my sorority sisters through the organization. So, you, I, you may have recently read um, that she there was a they had a sor- a service for her. So it's something that it carries you through your life. And I think I don't think there's any other organization that I've actually been a part of that has that level of commitment and bond to each other and to the community. Yeah, that is powerful. I did not know that Aretha Franklin was part of a sorority. Are there lessons that you can share? One or two points that maybe you took away that followed you throughout from just your interactions? Is it just interaction based or is there some kind of material that you're provided with that sort of instilled this strong sense of being a leader in you? Because you are. In a big way, you're a strong leader. It's it's your ethos and you, you're good at it from what I'm hearing. Do you think it started there or does this start further back, like back with your parents? Oh, yeah, this goes way back. <laughs> um, you know, I'm the oldest of eight kids. And I feel like I've been raising kids my whole life <laughs> um, because I know being a, the eldest, I'm first generation American. And in, in my in my cult, my, my mother's culture, um, she's she, we're Haitian. So in the Haitian culture, the eldest child really is kind of second in command, if you will, of the household. Um, so, I mean, at, at the age of like eight or nine years old, I was kind of helping manage the, the household, cook, clean, take care of my brothers, help people with homework. And I mean, so I, I, I kind of had no choice. I had to kind of stand up and really, um, really kind of be a leader. And that just followed me throughout my, you know, that followed me throughout school, that followed me throughout my college years. Uh, so I always, even though, you know, I mentioned to you earlier that I'm an introvert, even though I, I, I sometimes try to hide in the background, the, 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 the call to leadership always somehow found, finds me, and I always end up having to kind of step up, even when I don't want to. Um, but I think it's just, it just seems to be kind of how I've been wired, uh, and, and that's the journey that I've been on throughout my entire, in my entire uh, career. So. And, and let's explore that. Uh... What was the first job you had and, and how does, how do you think it relates to where you are today? <laughs> so I, I joke about this with, with folks. My first job was actually McDonald's. I think I was 13 or 14 years old. 
Um, and I actually enjoyed, I really enjoyed working there uh, because I made, because it was like me and all my friends worked there. And there's just a couple, there's a couple of concepts that the efficiency of, of McDonald's. So people don't realize like it, if you've never worked at like a, a franchising type of place, at least back then, I don't know what the, the, the process is these days, but it was very methodical, you know, like there was, there was, there was, there was, there was a place for everything. It was very efficient. There was, there was only so much time food had to be in the window. There was, there was the time you had to um, be able to serve a customer from the time they walked in the door to the time they left. We had metrics and we had hourly metrics and our, our, my man and my first supervisor, he was super, super Uber type A. So like everything we did, we ran like so efficient, like to the T, um, even how we packed ketchup or how we packed napkins, if you can believe it. And I, I remember our friends, we used to kind of make fun of him, like, man, he needs to chill. But you know what? Actually, that being in that environment really helped create a level of discipline. Um, and I and I kind of secretly like really um, I really liked our supervisor, even though our friends were like, oh, yeah, I was like, you know what, like, he can get a whole bunch done in like an hour. It just was amazing how efficient he was. Um, and that was just something I always admired in him and I took with me. So it's interesting. Um, you know, people don't realize, like, you can actually learn some really cool skills working at McDonald's. <laughs> if there's, I don't know if they're still that way, but um, when, I, when I was there, that was my experience. Right. No, and I, li- I like that you brought up two things. Uh, the first one before, uh, I feel like the second one's going to escape me when we go into this, but the first one you brought up was being exposed to metrics that early. Uh, at, and then the other was type A personality. Now, granted that I want to introduce this story to a younger audience who may not have that kind of work experience, even though we're talking about working at McDonald's and their first job, I think that they may end up going to work in other places where that may not be the case. So can you unpack your understanding of type A personality and then how important metrics are to what you do today, because that's the first time you experienced it at McDonald's and it clearly carries over into today. Sure. Sure. I mean, so type A, I, I think there's like a spectrum of, of people who are kind of considered type A personalities. Um, so for those out there who's never heard that term, um, there's kind of two categories. I can even say there's even three categories of people. Um, and that's, this is kind of from a psychologist kind of lens. But someone who's type A is someone who uh, really likes things that are orderly. And this is, this is general, right? It, you know, like I said, there is a spectrum. Um, but typically a type A, they, they like things that are very, uh, it, you know, orderly. They like to be on time. Um, they have really good attention to detail. They're super organized, uh, and they just really kind of do things in a very methodical fashion. Um, as opposed to someone who's more type B, a uh, type B is what you would maybe call um, someone who's more kind of creative, uh, really not as focused on time, uh, not really, you know, they're really about kind of living in the moment, like how, you know, they kind of go with, with what they're feeling and what feels right at that time and, and not necessarily prescribe to a specific method or system. Um, so you would say, most people would say, you know, a lot of type A's generally, and again, I'm, I'm really overgeneralizing it, um, maybe like accountants, um, maybe like, like I'm a consultant, as you know, consultant, it may even be doctors, you know, they live in a very precise world, you know, as opposed to type B may be more creative. And again, I'm being very, very general here. Uh, just to give you an idea of what, what people say that, what it means. I don't think 
um, you know, just personally, I don't think there's nothing wrong with either versions. I think you need both, honestly. It's kind of like a yin and yang thing. Um, I, I think you need both styles, um, working styles or personality styles to really make anything work. Because um, I feel like sometimes if you're type A, you may not be as flexible or may not be able to deal with certain ambiguity as much as someone who's like a type B. But type B, they need organization. You know, they need to kind of sometimes bring some structure to their, 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 their cool, bold ideas. So I think you need both, personally. So that's one. And the second question about metrics. Um, I realized the importance of metrics. I think even from school, uh, I think the, the, my, my first supervisor really drilled it into me of how to work and have metrics in a way, um, like down to like a very tactical level. Um, but I, I think metrics are a compass, right? You can't really um, be successful unless you're able to measure it, unless you're able to know like, okay, I went out even like, think about it. If you have a Fitbit on, you know, I went from point A to point B and I was able to calculate how, how, how many miles I ran, how long it took me. And I can also be able to track, you know, how, how was that compared to what I did yesterday? I mean, that's metrics. That's essentially metrics. So it's just a way to really measure progress. And I think humans are happiest when they're able to, to, to see progress happening. Um, even if it's taking them time, even if it may take more time for something to get done, but as long as you can see the progress, I think that's why um, it's, it's important in metrics um, to have metrics, but it's important in leadership as well uh, to be able to take people along on a journey. They got to know where, where they're at, right? You got to know where the North Star is, right? And where you're headed. And metrics is really a key indicator and, and enabler to do that. I'm glad you broke that down from your own words uh, specifically, because I imagine that it's that knowledge that you captured early on that has been able to help you continually pursue what you want out of life without losing enthusiasm. Because as we discussed earlier, before we actually started recording, we had talked about the idea of people thinking a career is a forever thing. Like you just, you make this decision and that's what you have to do. And if anybody were to take a look at your life, for example, or or anyone else and how they got to where they are. It's never just been that kind of path. And people hear that and they're like, yeah, I know. And yet when it comes to their own life, they believe it's that linear. It, it absolutely, there's nothing linear about it. And when you think about it, it, it I think that's with life. I, you know, what's interesting when you think about kind of where we are in, in society today, everything, I can't say every single, but a majority of rules that was created um, in, in the workforce were created based on a different era. So if you think about it, a lot of the rules around, like, you had to work a job from 8 to 5 or 9 to 5. You know, you had to work 40 hours. You had to go into an organization and be there for the rest of your life. And that organization took care of you. Like, all of those rules was based on a time when, manu- when, when, when like the U.S., United States, respectively, was at the height of, of the Industrial Revolution. And this, we're talking like 50, 60 years ago. And so those rules of the workplace was created for a different era. And so when you think about what's happening now, um, and, and it's, it's not just happening in the U.S., it's happening across the world. We're having, we're, we're, imagine like the workforce is like a body. It's like, the, like a, a body going through puberty, right? 
And if it's somebody's body going through puberty, it's literally growing too fast for the, the bone structure, right? And that's when people experience a lot of pain and they go through a lot of, um, you know, emotional, mental. That's actually what's happening to our workforce right now. Because what's happening is people are still holding on to these beliefs that are from a, t- a different time when we're like in the knowledge, you know, we're like in digital age, we're in the knowledge age. We're four, you know, we're four or five generations out of when the rules were created. So I think what's, what's interesting with all that disruption is that we, as a, as a, as a society, have to begin to create a new set of rules. And yes, you do not have to stay in the same place. You don't have to make this, you know, you, you can make a decision and be okay in that moment because you made a decision based on the information you had at that particular moment in time. But the minute that you have new information, guess what? It's a new time. It, it, it's okay to make a new decision. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, and I, I think to me that that actually blends better with the way life is. Life is very fluid and, and everything is very kind of gray. And um, I, I think it's better to kind of go go with that manner. So, so well, yes, you know, you want to have some basic ideas of what you may want to do and maybe stick, give, it, give it some time to, 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 to manifest, right? So let's say, for example, if I took a job um, today and I said, you know what, when I took that job at that particular moment in time, that was a good decision for me in my life. And then I may find out six months in, I'm like, hey, this is not what I thought it would be. Um, but you know what, let me, let me kind of write it out. You know, that's my first hypothesis. Let me, let me give it another three months. Let me give it another six months, right? To make sure I'm not just kind of making an impulse decision. And so if I, if I make it to a year and it's still not what I thought it would be in six months, well, then you know what? It's time for me to make another decision. Um, and in, in now with new information based on the experiences I've had. Um, so the, and I just, I just kind of totally made that example up. You know, I think people, you know, you do what you, you think is best for you. Uh, but know that you're not bound to these kind of industrial era rules of, of working. They're just, they don't work in, this, in today's environment. Um, and, and it's about really kind of creating, you know, success on your own terms. Bringing back what we were talking about with metrics, you sort of have an internal compass. You said, this is the information I have now after having made the decision. And now I can make a decision based off that. That's essentially what a metric is coming back to that. I like yeah. that. And, and I want to take it back. So how did you make it out of McDonald's? And I'm not saying that in a sense of where, oh, you worked at McDonald's. You know, McDonald's actually turned me down uh, when I tried to apply uh, when, I was, when I was a kid. Uh, but that's not about me. I just want to, what I'm saying is even I was with it. I wanted to go in that direction. How did you make it out of McDonald's? Funny story again. I actually, my job at McDonald's ended um, because of my mom. My mom and I, you know, may she rest in peace. I, I, she, she kind of saw the decisions I was making at that time. And, um, she felt like there was, I should have been doing something else with my time. And so she was the one that really forced me to quit and, uh, really find, I, I found a, a, an opportunity working, you know, interning in, in a, in a corporate office setting. Um, and that's really what it was. Cause I actually was enjoying McDonald's. Um, but it was very interesting. I, I kind of, I kind of, um, didn't, I didn't see what my mom saw in me. Um, at that time, I think, you know, I just wasn't really believing in myself as much. And I think it was just, uh, you know, kind of the environment that I was in. Uh, but my mom was, was 
was there with me and she's like, you know, Christy, you can, you can be what you want. You can do what you want. I didn't really believe that at that particular time. I remember sharing um, some, some dreams and goals I had with a, a guidance counselor. Um, and that counselor told me to aim lower. You know, it was like, oh, I don't think you can be able to do that. And for whatever reason, that those words, even though they were just, they were, they were based on crap, right? There was no kind of thing to it, but those words stuck with me. And I really believed and I always um, kind of didn't make decisions when I, if I felt like I was going to be challenged or if I felt like I was going to get, I was, you know, I was going to get a no, I was going to get rejected. I always made safe decisions. And my mom, like, she called me out on it and she said, no, like, you've got to like, ain't, you've got to like, you're, you've got it. You've got to aim higher. You've got to do things that are at, at, a, at a different level. And I think those words still resonate with me today. And I think that's what really helped me um, go on that year of yes journey. Cause I can really hear my, you know, my mom passed away about 10 years ago, but it seems like, I feel like ever since, you know, she's passed away, I've really internalized all of the things that she's told me. Um, and all of the, the wisdom and all the guidance she's given me. So I've noticed, you know, in the year of yes, every time I, I went to say no, or I felt like I was being safe, or I wanted to play small, um, I can hear my mom saying, no, you got this, you know, you, you, you may not know it at the moment, but you'll figure it out. And I felt like, you know, she was like helping me push through, even though she's, she's been gone. Yeah. You know, people usually have the opposite happening in their lives where they're finding more motivation and positive reinforcement from outside the home. And at home, they're struggling with managing their parents' expectations. And here it's the other way around. The outside external forces failed to help you see the potential that you had in you, whereas your mother really did become the driving force for that. That's way to switch it up. And she sounds like an amazing person. Yeah, she really was. I mean, but you got to, you know, you got to see kind of the lens that I, I lived in for, for time. You know, I, I'm first generation American. Um, so there's a lot that I had to figure out. My mom just, she just didn't know. Um, and, you know, she helped me with what she can and she surrounded me with a lot of resources, but she didn't know. So I had to kind of bootstrap to like learn basic stuff. Um, even things like pop culture, it took me a while to really, like, really learn. Um, I was the first college, you know, first generation college grad. So I had to figure out the whole daunting task of getting into a college, um, you know, applying, getting in and then figuring out how I was going to finance this thing. Right. Like that, I had to go through that journey, you know, and then being a first generation corporate, Amer uh, uh, corporate professional in, in an environment as a management consultant, I, I, you know, I worked with some of the most elite companies in the world and around people that never worked with a person like myself, you know, so a person, uh, you know, a, a woman of color, um, especially from an immigrant background uh, that I came from, it, you know, it, there was just a lot of challenges um, that, because I, I just, I, I, I operate in a world where it was not designed for me um, and it just was not created for me to thrive in. Um, and so I was constantly, you know, having to go back to, like I said, go back to hearing my mom say, you can do it. And I don't know, maybe she saw these things for me. I don't know, but um, I've, I've constantly been against all odds. And so it's so interesting that with Liz's race, um, the way that we ran that race, uh, it, it, it was just the, I, and, and it can attest to her background as well. You know, Liz actually, she graduated from Wellesley College, you know, one of the most elite college, you know, women's colleges in the world. 
And she also, she's Cape Verdean American. So her family's also, she's first generation American. And I think, you know, we have, we had such similar backgrounds. I think that's what, you know, not only just being sorority sisters, but we bonded um, because we, we kind of come from the, uh, the, you know, we're cut from the same cloth and how we had to figure things out and, and, and thrive on our own. Um, so I think, I think that really helped, you know, us understand each other a lot, which is important between a candidate and a campaign manager. Yeah. It sounds like you're no stranger to obstacles and pretty much from the day you were born. I, you know, it's funny, Philip, I don't see them as obstacles. Maybe when I was younger, I did. Um, but I get to, I'm at a point, I actually see it as an amazing opportunity because right off the gate, I'm able to differentiate myself in any room I walk into. And then I'm, that from that lens, I know what I'm able to bring. Um, what it does mean that I have to do, though, um, is that I have to be prepared. You know, so I, I want to make sure if I walk into a room, you know, I'm, I'm most prepared. I'm able to talk whatever, whatever the, the thing is. Um, I've, I've done my research. I've rehearsed. Uh, so because I, because I know that I may not have as many shots or opportunities as others. So, I mean, to me, I think that gives me the opportunity to step up towards excellence. Uh, and that's kind of like how I've really kind of wired myself now. It's, so I don't see it as off, as an obstacle at all. I just see like, wow, you know, I've been given this, this, this is the life that I've been given. And it's all about making it the best that I can. Right. And there's a quote that I heard um, a couple of years ago, and I, I believe it's true. You know, they said, you know, if you if you live your life to the fullest and you do everything that was ever like you ever had the opportunity to do and you do it and you play full out, living life once is enough. And I, I so agree with that, 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 that statement. And so you get into the into the corporate world on an internship. And how, how does that lead into project management? I think project management could just kind of fell in my lap just because of the type of person I am. So going back to being a leader, being a young leader, being organized, um, I, I kind of just gravitated towards me. It's not like I, I sought out to run projects. Um, it just kind of happened because I think people saw that I was, I was, for the most part, always one of the most organized people in the room. <laughs> um, so that's kind of how it, it, it landed to that. And then I found myself at a very early stage in my career running consulting projects. And, you know, so not just delivering on the work we were doing, but actually helping lead the team uh, to get the work done. Uh, so I think it just, it just kind of, again, it's just a culmination of my experiences, knowledge, and skills that led to that happening. Yeah. And boy, did it really pan out. I mean, now you're, you've, you've had a TED talk, you're a contributor on several major publications like Forbes. And I think I even saw you took what is little known, but definitely an alternative path in life. You took Seth Godin's alt MBA. Yeah, that was an amazing journey. Um, for those who have never heard of it, Seth Godin, he's, a thought leader. He's one of my biggest role models. Uh, he created an ult MBA. It's a four week leadership development program. And it really just, he just created kind of this construct where he, he you know, for every cohort that goes through this four week, four week sprint, um, you go through about 15 to 20 different projects with, with a hundred other people from around the world. Um, that are, are kind of curated. Um, but he curates every, every cohort 
Um, and he takes like the, the best and the brightest across the world to go through this experience together. And in that process, you go through a number of different uh, kind of like, like projects and, and, and uh, different types of, of, of assignments and able to really put things on the table. And, and, and it helps with how to make better decisions, how to make sure, you know, things like being able to, to not make uh, decisions based on sunk costs, which is important. Um, being able to not be afraid, like, you know, really challenging people's fears, um, being comfortable with the, you know, uncomfortable. So he kind of really puts you through these, like, really hard concepts that he believes, once you know them, you really, you know, these are kind of the things that you would learn in an MBA program. He believes that it's something that you can do in a very short amount of time, and it's, it's an alternative to getting a traditional B-school, um, and you're doing it in, in such a short amount of time with a lot less money, but with the same caliber of people that you would go through. Because at the end of the day, um, anyone that goes through business school knows that it's not about the curriculum of the business school, more as it's about your network, you know, the people that go through the program with you. Um, and so Seth really kind of harnesses that idea and like, puts this construct together and that was actually that was life-changing i did that program back in uh last year again part of my year of yes um i did that program and that literally changed it really it really created like a seismic shift in how i think about the world um just kind of going through that you know i'm hearing a, a trend here and it's funny because it seems to be going, uh, as, as usual, against conventional wisdom. A lot of people these days are considering the path of an entrepreneur because of the way the economy is shifting. Like you said, it's changing faster than people are ready for. And entrepreneurialism seems to be the way to go. That being said, everyone usually falls under the trap of doing it alone, thinking, you know, the solo entrepreneur, solopreneur. And from what I'm seeing as your life path unfolds in this conversation is that you've always been involved in organizations or communities. Correct. I, I, and I don't, there's nothing wrong with um, entrepreneurs or people that take it alone. Um, I just, I just believe there's a, there's other ways to, to, there's other ways to skin a cat, right? Um, and it's funny because when people see my, my profile on LinkedIn, they see the things I'm doing, their first inclination is to think that I am an entrepreneur. I'm a solopreneur doing all this stuff on my own. But if you dig a little deeper, I actually work for a company. So I work for Slalom Consulting now. Um, I've always worked for a big corporation, but I play more of what I call an entrepreneur role. Right. So I even though I work for a corporation, I always find ways to really carve out my own niche within it, but taking advantage of being part of a broader network. Um, and I've done that, whether it's with my sorority, I've done that in my school, I've done that with like the Alt-MBA. Um, I've always been part of something bigger because I really believe in community and I believe that it's, it's better to do with everyone and to be part of some journey together uh, than to go at it alone. Uh, and maybe that comes, that can also come from the fact that I grew up in a, in a big family, you know, that it can maybe come from that. I have never really thought about it until this, this moment. Um, but for me, that's kind of like the lens I operate from. Would I, will I stay kind of in that mode? Who knows? I may, maybe one day I may decide to completely branch out and go solo. But uh, for now, I, I just feel like, again, success on my own terms. I don't feel like I need to be 
working on my own um, alone to be an entrepreneur? Why can't I do that in a, in a corporation that gives me the freedom and the flexibility to do so? Hmm. And, 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 and how do you think you've been able to earn that, that freedom and flexibility from these corporations? Working my ass off. <laughs> <laughs> Got You got to. You got to work to earn it. You know. Um, you got to be able to, to show and prove that you can deliver. I think once you once you're able to really deliver and build that. You know. I call it. You know. Earning my credibility stamp. Once I'm able to earn my credibility stamp, you know, then I can I can really kind of take things and and really take things to the next level. And I think I think you've got to have a what I call a, you got to wanna gene. You got to wanna do it. You got to wanna step up. You got to wanna take the lead. You got to want to want to solve problems. You know, you got to want to take things to the next level. And if you don't have that internal got to want to gene, it doesn't matter where you are. You can be by yourself or you can be in a company at your school, what have you. If you don't have that internal drive, it doesn't really matter what your environment is. It's not going to happen. Um, so I believe you have to want to do it in order for it to happen. And it's in, it's in that got to want to skill that you build. That's where resourcefulness, that's when you're able to create something out of nothing. Um, you have that, that kind of that skill set. And it's something you don't have to be born with. You just have to decide that's what you want to develop and start to look at the world in a different lens. So that, you know, sometimes you're like, oh, well, you know, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't born, you know, in a certain sort of circumstances that created that. That's okay. If you still want to have it, you can create it. You just have to make the decision. You got to want to. That's it. You got to want to. Because there's an emotional labor that comes with having an internal drive that sometimes people don't want to deal with, right? So if, if you don't want to, then it's just not going to happen. And that's okay, right? Because someone else will, will want to, right? Um, but but there's, I think there's part of the, the gotawana, the internal drive, the emotional labor that comes with it. There's a level of success that you're able to create or manifest in your life um, that just doesn't happen without it. And, and it seems like, you really have had that. You got to want a gene driving you through to where you are today from the work you did with Liz, uh, which is amazing because people today don't step into politics. They like having conversations about it on Facebook, but they don't put their money where their mouth is or their time, in your case, and efforts and really get involved. They may not even know how to get involved. They just know that it's a part of life that's out there, but never get involved. Do you, would you encourage young people to actually get involved in campaigns politically as, as part of their development? Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Like knowing what I know now, um, I actually kind of wish I had gotten involved in, in politics earlier on just because of the, the, the muscle it builds. But I think the first thing, um, anyone that wants to get involved in the political process, again, it's that gotta wanna, right? It, you know, getting involved in politics is kind of like going to the gym. No one's going to tell you to do it, but you know, you've got to get you've got to get in there to be to be able to see the results that you want, right? In this case, see the results in your government. Um, so you have to make the decision. It's not something that's going to be like required of you. Like you mentioned, civics was taken out. I hope that they some, maybe bring it back in the future, given. Um, kind of the state of affairs we're in, you know, at a geopolitical level. I hope they bring it back. Um, but if not, it's something you can do. And I think the first step, I think the easiest way to get involved into any politics, go, you know, start with your local. You don't have to go up to like, you know, seeing all the, you know, the, the, the glitz and glam of the federal 
um, you know, the federal races and, and getting involved at that level if you don't want to. Um, get involved with your local politics, what's happening at the city, at the county, at your district level, and find, find somebody that you admire. Honestly, because politics is hard work. Um, and, and if it wasn't because I didn't believe in Liz, I don't know if I would have ever gotten involved in politics, right? But I think it's finding someone you admire and, or someone that stands for what you believe in. And being able to, to really decide to say, I, I want to I volunteer. Um, that's actually one of the easiest ways to get involved in any political campaign. And you can do like They're always looking for volunteers. It doesn't matter how, how, um, how, how big their campaign is or not, how, how much money they have or not. They're always looking for camp for volunteers. Volunteers is the life lifeblood, the lifeline of, of political campaigns. Um, so find someone you admire, find someone that, that really has the same beliefs you have, the changes you want to see in the world. And go after it. And if you know what, guess what? If you don't find someone you like or you don't find someone that kind of have the same positions and stance for, guess what? You can run for office too. You know, that's the, that's the beauty of things. The minute you turn 18, you can run for office in this country for a lot of different positions. So don't be afraid, um, you know, to kind of step out and be bold. If you have things that you believe in and you're not finding that representation, you can be the change you wish to see in the world. There's just so many things I want to keep going on, but I, I know that we've gone for a while now and, and I want to leave the opportunity for, for people to, to approach you and, and, and explore that further, or maybe invite a second conversation at some point uh, between us. And I, I want to leave the floor to you now to invite people to visit. I mean, you're an author, you're a speaker, you work as a consultant for uh, with a company. Uh, what this is your time? What do you have out there that's happening right now that you want to tell people about, or how do you want people to reach out to you? And are you open to people approaching you for mentorship? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I would say so. First of all, thank you so much for giving me time with your your audience and listeners. Thank you for listening to me today. Um, I, I guess the first thing, if someone wants to get in contact with me, I say they can check out my website. They can go to christylindor.com. Uh, and I'm sure, and, and I'll give you the links as well that you can, you can put on your site, Philip. Um, from there, from, from christylindor.com, you can check out, you know, my talk. I've got, you know, I've got a book coming out, um, uh, this fall. Actually, it's about forgiveness in the workplace. That's a whole podcast episode on itself. <laughs> um, but, you can check me out there. Uh, I'm always open to LinkedIn. I'm, I'm a big uh, LinkedIn person. So feel free to, um, you know, connect with me on LinkedIn, Christy Lindor. Um, I'm also on Twitter and Instagram. Um, in terms of, uh, in terms of, of mentorship, I've, I've actually starting to, to maybe think about uh, doing something, maybe having like group mentorship. I have a lot, as you can imagine, like I have a lot of, I think I'm up to hundreds of people that want me to mentor them. And, you know, I've got a family, my, my husband and son, and I've got like my job and it's, there's a lot happening. Um, so I'm trying to figure out a way to, to do that. But if you connect with me on LinkedIn, I'm always answering emails and helping people find information. Um, I have a podcast I used to do, and I've got tons of episodes um, that, you know, archived uh, that you can check out. So I'm, I'm always, I'm always willing to help people. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that's, uh, that's about it. So check me out on, on, uh, on LinkedIn or christylindor.com. Oh, you have a podcast. What's the name of your podcast? 
Yeah, I, I, it was a pop-up podcast. I did it for a year. It was called the Macy News Unplugged. Uh, and it was really about consulting, uh, really helping people that want to become great consultants. So it was being the mentor that I wish I had. Um, that's actually what led me to write my first book. And then I had that podcast. For, and I literally did it for a year. Um, but, the, but the episodes are still out there uh, on the internet. So if you're interested in, in the podcast, you can go to MeceNews.com. Um, that's M-E-C-E M-U-S-E dot com. Love it. Okay. And then let's just end it with this thought. If you were standing in front of Christy Lindor just coming into high school or just coming into college, and that may be two different things, and you had the opportunity to travel back in time and you had you saw them on the sidewalk and you caught their attention and you're like, listen, I just want to tell you this because I needed this when I was at this age. And because I have this opportunity, I'm going to say it. What is that? What would you say to your younger self? Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting. And you said it in your question, Christy, Christy, you know, high school Christy is, it was different at a different age than college Christy. Um, and so I'm, I'm going to have two pieces of advice for the two different Christies. Um, so, so high school Christy, I would definitely say, um, guys will limit, you know, don't, don't, don't limit yourself. Don't let the story of what others tell you dictate how you live your life. Um, no matter what people may have said or what their perceptions are, you are whoever you want to become and, and know that you've got whatever it takes. And I'm literally, I feel like I'm paraphrasing what my mom used to say. Um, but that's what I would say to high school, Christy. college Christy though. Um, I would actually say, don't be in a rush to succeed. I feel like college Christy, uh, you know, once I got the, you know, I, the gotta wanna bug hit me, I just wanted to do so much in so little time. And, you know, I wanted to be all these things before the age of 30. And I had all these like things and they still have everything that I wanted still happened, but I didn't need to be in a rush. I could have, you know, take my time, took, you know, took, you know, took my time and experience and enjoyed life um, and enjoyed the ride along the way. Hmm. So it would be a delicate balance of keeping that gotta wanna in check, but also keeping it alive. Yeah, keeping it alive and living life and not just being about like work and things like that. Like being able to live and, and enjoy. Enjoy the ride. Yeah. It seems like you got a lot to offer the world, Christy. Uh, I'm I'm really thankful that, that we got an opportunity to to chat. Um this is the first time we're chatting, but I hope it won't be the last. Yeah, thank you. On the Rhythm, the Blueprint Series.